This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm Shane Lee, your host. On the show, Pat Cummins, Australian cricket fast bowler and co-vice captain of the Australian cricket team. Growing up in Western Sydney, he was named this year's ICC Test Cricketer of the Year. He made his debut at the age of 18, which led to many years on the sidelines due to injury. Now having played 30 tests, taking 143 wickets, he's currently the highest paid IPL cricketer, if it goes ahead, expected to earn $3.8 million for one season. And Phil Burton, singer, songwriter and musician in the Australian vocal band Human Nature. Born also in Western Sydney, he's now playing sold-out shows in Vegas with songs from Motown for the last 11 years. He's had four number one albums on the ARIA charts and recently received an Order of Australia for his contribution to performing arts. Let's get started. All right, we'll kick off, guys. On the show today, Pat Cummins, Australian cricket fast bowler. Uh, welcome to the show, Pat. G'day, Shano. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm good, mate. And also on the show, Phil Burton, singer in the Australian vocal band Human Nature, and recently received an Order of Australia. So welcome, Phil. Thanks very much, Shane. G'day, Pat. Good to speak to you too. And how are you boys going? So, Pat, what, what does a cricketer do in isolation? Not much cricket. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm down, I've got some property just south of Sydney. So Beautiful. Been doing lots of farm jobs and quickly realising I'm a much better cricketer than I am DIY sure. builder or farmer. So lots of attempts at DIY and then lots of trying to fix what I've stuffed up. <laughs> <laughs> and you're um, you're running some, some Black Angus cattle down there, man. I believe your wife's actually naming all the cattle, so there's probably very little chance you're going to sell any of them. No, there's there's absolutely no chance <laughs> they're, they're going to leave this uh, farm until they're very, very old. Um, they're getting hand-fed apples, freshly cut every day, bananas. Beautiful. Um, maple what syrup. What a life. Oh. Guys, I'm, I'm ex- really excited to have you both on the show. I think you're both Western Sydney boys growing up in Western Sydney. But you're also yeah. guys who have really sort of reinvented yourselves, both. Phil, you started off, the band was originally called, was it Four Packs? Uh, not, not quite. It was the Four Tracks. Four Tracks. Uh, with, a, with a letter X on the end because right. the letter X was what made it cool. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> now, we were performing as a cabaret group around the RSL clubs in Sydney and uh, that, would, that went for about five or six years. And then we got ourselves a record deal with Sony Music and realised that the name, the Four Tracks, Yep. didn't really suit us as a pop group and we didn't really want <laughs> people to be associating this new young pop group with the same four guys that were doing Cliff Richard medleys at Rudy Hill RSL just <laughs> a few months earlier. So gotcha. So we changed the name to Human Nature at that point. And then so Human Nature, obviously a boy band in the 90s, to now playing sold-out shows in Vegas for the last 11 years, that's, that's quite a big evolution. It is. I mean, there's been a lot of steps in between that boy band to Vegas thing. We, you know, we we started recording Motown music back in 2005, so that was a big reinvention for us. It, it probably not as much for us as people thought, because when we were young and performing in the cabaret world in Sydney, a lot of the songs we were doing were Motown songs, and so we really cut our teeth on groups like The Temptations and The Four Tops. So when we came out with the Motown music. For us, it was a bit more going back to our roots. And um, in, a, in a way, it was a reinvention. But as I said, it, those, that music was still very familiar to us. And it was really 
quite fun actually to get the chance to put that out there and show Australia a bit more of the history of human nature at that point than just the pop music. And Pat, speaking of reinvention, so you started your test career at the age of 18 and I think you followed, it was something like 1,946 day gap between your first series and then coming back to play for the Australian team in 2017 at the age of 26. So, mate, how did you have to reinvent yourself over that period? There would have been some really tough times, both mentally and physically, I'm sure. Yeah, they were. It was it was a strange time. Um, so debut yeah, when I was 18 in, in test cricket and then basically had injury after injury each year for the next four or five years. And I was, I was lucky that I could still play a lot of one-day cricket and, and yep. T20 cricket. My body could cope with that. But test cricket was a long way away. But that was always the goal. So I felt like every time I, I played a game, that was, that was the end goal in my mind. Um, mm. So I was, I was happy along the road to be playing you know, still for Australia in lots of different games. But by the time I, I got back into the Aussie team five or six years later, I was certainly a lot more grown up. I, was, I think sure. I was probably five or ten kilos heavier with muscle, yep. developed out a little bit and, yeah, felt like I, I wasn't a kid anymore. And, and what do you learn mentally over those those periods where, you know, I remember having a few injuries, but nothing to the extent that you had, mate, but sitting on the sideline, it's frustrating. You know, you can get quite down. What, what do you learn mentally? Because you clearly learned a lot since you've come back. Yeah, the most frustrating part for me was I felt quite powerless. I couldn't really control the injuries. And yeah, so much of sport is you want to control what, what happens. So I found out the hardest thing. And, and I guess the lesson learned from that was what I couldn't control, just trying to not worry too much about it, not trying to fight that. I had a great team around me with all you know players, but also all the staff just trying to embed kind of confidence and patience. And mm. it took me a while, but I think by the end of, you know, with each injury, I felt like I was getting a little bit more patient. Yeah, I kind of luckily never lost this motivation of that end goal. But, yeah, just trying to, I guess, you know, enjoy it for what it was. I couldn't play, yep. but I could still go in and hang out with some great, great mates. So just try and enjoy the process. Can I ask a question of Pat, actually? Sure. I'm quite interested here. Um a lot of, you know, the, the cricketers, particularly bowlers, they, they seem to evolve through their career. So at the age of 18, you want to go out there and you want to knock the batsman's head off with every delivery or you want to take a wicket with every ball. Mm. Whereas I know that they learn as their career goes on that you've got to think a batsman out. You've got to play it a bit like a game of chess. And I was just wondering, the, the you missing out on those a lot of years of being a test cricketer, do you think that, that evolution might automatically happen anyway as you get a bit more mature just through life mm. that you because you for you you didn't get to bowl in test cricket for so many years so you didn't have that hands-on experience but watching you play now it seems like it's there it's 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 automatically there that you do know how to think a batsman out and you do know how to play the the long game so do you think that's something that's just naturally come to you as you got older or have you just learned really, really quickly when question. you jump back into the into the test cricket? Yeah, it's a good point. It was something I was really worried about in those years that I missed out because red ball's a totally different tempo and it's a totally different game to, you know, one day in T20 cricket where it's it's quite fast. Red ball, yeah, you have to really think people, I guess, out and, and build up a spell. And I missed that for four or five years. So, I mean, I was, I was pretty lucky. Once I got back in, I felt like it came back quite quickly. You know, all, all the overs I bowled in my teenage years, I think, helped. Uh, but certainly by the time I was 24 and back in the Aussie team, 
I was so much more patient mm. and comfortable in my own skin as a cricketer than I was when I was 18 and everyone wanted to see a young bloke come in and bowl fast. Yep. Um, I felt like every yep. game I played, I had to be the match winner. I had to knock someone's head off. Mm. I had to put my body through everything it could and it just wasn't sustainable. So no. now coming back as a 24-year-old or five-year-old back in the Aussie team, I was really comfortable with my ability that if I wasn't the fastest bowler ever that day, it was fine. I, you know, I had enough, enough other – it's now to, to try and take wickets um, and try and play the long game a bit more. So oh, on, lovely. on that note, Phil, like, so longevity, like, you know, human nature started when you were sort of around the age of 15, 30 years on, what, mm-hmm. doing so many shows a week, well, what's the key to your longevity there? I think, again, it's, it's a very similar thing to what Pat was just saying is that you, you do learn to pace yourself mm. and you, you've learned that there are moments in your career where you can't just go hell for leather the whole time because you will exhaust yourself. There are moments you have to step back and let things happen. Um, whether it's creating music or creating a show, you can't just get out there and, and perform all the time and then jump straight back into the studio and make a record and then jump straight back out on the road again. There are moments where you have to give your body and your brain a rest. And I think that's one of the main things that you do learn as you get older is you're going to burn out really, really quickly if you try to win every single day. So getting just just taking that step back, taking stock of what you're doing, I think that's one of the most important things to learn to have that longevity in a career. Yeah, def- I've got a quick question. Sorry, Phil. Yeah. I was watching, I always think of this about, kind of NBA players and a lot of the American sport who play 200 games a year and it's mm-hmm. similar to you guys who are you five nights a week at the moment or yeah we you know, do a, we do just a, like just a bit over 200 shows a year so well yeah so about the same. how do you get up for every show well there actually are shows where you really don't feel like you're ready it's a funny feeling you know you, ex- you expect people to say oh you know I just love it so much but there are nights when you to be honest you don't love it and you just have to get through it. But it. Generally, when you hit the stage, I don't know if it's the same with you when you hit a field, like if you're feeling a bit down on a day when you go out onto the field, but there's something that we in the music industry call doctor stage. And when you get on stage, the doctor stage, he comes on and he makes you feel a bit better. So even if you're not really into it, you get out there and you know it's your job to do it. And so that that really helps you get through it and and essentially you end up enjoying the time anyway. So I think that's probably one of the things, even it must it must be with the basketballers too, they probably do have off nights, but there's something in there that you just feel like, well, it's my job and I've just got to do it. And you surprise yourself in the end because you generally don't hate doing it that particular night in the end. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, we have a, a running joke in cricket, which sounds like it's quite similar. Is um you know, we talk someone like Sachin Tendulkar who played 400 ODIs oh, wow. for India. Yeah. The running Ooh. joke is it's always like, geez, that's a lot of warm-ups. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's true. You hate the warm-ups. Sure is. You hate, you hate the travel. But once you get out in the field, um, it's true. You do try and find that. But I've, yeah, I'm that's... fascinated. I'm in awe of you guys that do it 200 days a year. Oh, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, but that's exactly the same with us. It's the rehearsals and the and the warm-ups and everything, they're the bits that are the hard part. But once you hit the stage, it's kind of worth it. And, Phil, what's yeah. life like in Vegas? Can you can you tell us anything? Or, you know, what goes on Vegas stays in Vegas. But what, what, <laughs> what's actually like actually living there outside the Strip? Surprisingly, it's very normal and a lot more conservative than you'd expect. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, the, everyone thinks of Vegas as this glitzy, glamorous place where the strip, there's the strip and all these amazing casinos. And there is that, but that's just the middle. It's a bit, funnily enough, to use a, a, an appropriate analogy, that's like that's the pitch, but there are, there's all the greenery around it. There's all the grass around it. So there's the middle strip and all around it there is suburban Las Vegas and there's people that go about their business, they work in banks, they work in stores, you know. So, gotcha. and, and a lot of them, they don't even visit the strip. So we've been here 11 years and there's plenty of people out there still that find out what I do and say, oh, really, I've never heard of you guys. Must maybe one day come in and see the show. So even though we've got billboards all over town, I guess the locals, they just don't really notice the things that the tourists do. So it's very normal here, if, even if a bit quiet, kind of quiet in the suburban areas, you know. Okay. It's, yeah, it's it's a little bit like living out in the suburbs in Sydney. It's it's quiet and it's peaceful and, and very, very normal. And, and, Pat, so our probably equivalent of Vegas and cricket is, is the IPL. This year, fingers crossed, <laughs> yeah. mate, it goes ahead because you stand to make $3.8 million for the one season. Have, have you done the IPL before? I certainly have my fingers crossed that it's going yeah, to go know, ahead mate. at some stage. I hope that does for you, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, I've done three seasons now. Yep. Um, my first taste, I was, I think I was 19, maybe 20 years old, playing for Kolkata Knight Riders and, and uh, Brett, your brother, played there yes. for a few years and I'm sure he's he's got some great stories. But I was there and the first season we won. So our home ground is Eden Gardens. It holds 100,000 people. Uh, one of our owners is Shah Rukh Khan, who's yes. the biggest movie star in the world. You know, he's, he's a Bollywood superstar. And everyone knows India are cricket mad, but what struck me was, so we won the tournament down in Bangalore. We flew back to Kolkata to do kind of a lap of honour around the stadium. Uh-huh. And the stadium was packed. There's no cricket to be played. There was 100,000 people crying their eyes out, cheering on this team just as we walked the lap. And then I reckon another wow. two or 300,000 Indian fans lining the streets as we go back to our hotel. It was just insane. It was like wow. uh, it was it's, it's a different world because you're there and you feel like you're the Beatles or something and then yeah. uh, you fly back to Sydney and you realise uh, no one knows who you are <laughs> Mate, <laughs> pretty I, quickly. I, I had a very different experience at Calcutta Eden Gardens. Um, there were tears shared, but it was from me. I bowled three overs, none for 23 against Sachin Tendulkar. I didn't play for two years after that, so it was a nightmare. <laughs> Phil, I'm really, really interested in the whole the Motown phenomenon. So, what is it about the whole Motown music um, that Barry Gordy started in, you know, in the '60s that resonates still today? Oh, I think um, just the songs. The songs are the things that really make the big difference. They yep. are the most catchy songs in history. Really, yeah. they're just incredible. They they make you move. They make you smile. A couple that with the incredible business sense that he must have had um, mm. where he just really knew when and where to drop a, the right single by the right artist. He had, he knew instinctively someone was a great songwriter. That's why he signed up people like Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye. It's, it's just one of those things where all of the different ingredients came together at the right time with someone as smart as Barry Gordy who was able to recognise what was happening and he's just put together an absolute juggernaut that still, even now, it's been 60 years since they released their first song. Yeah, it's song. crazy, and, isn't it? Yeah, and it's still such memorable music and it's and such inspiring music as well. I think a lot of people just, they the, it, it keeps sort of showing itself as being fresh every now and again. Yeah. So 
back in the 60s it was brand new and then in the 70s you had people bringing out covers of it and then the mm. 80s as well people like kim wilde bringing out you keep me hanging on and yeah. things like that as well so when we did it in the 2000s it just felt like it was our turn particularly in australia i think a lot of australians knew all of those songs and knew they were hits but didn't realize they were all from the one record label yeah, so cool. i think that's one of the things is that there's just such a powerful catalog of music that when you put it all out there together, it just really blows people away that that this could have all happened literally pretty much in the one house, in the one recording studio all these songs came from. So yeah, it's crazy. In that, there's just so many great ingredients to it and that's what creates that such memorable feel. And do you think that Motown sort of starting in working-class Detroit, I suppose in some ways, do you think that four boys from Western Sydney was probably easier to relate to that sort of feel and vibe? Well, funnily enough, that's one thing that we've mentioned that Smokey Robinson has mentioned a lot with us. You know, we've done interviews with him about it and he has often said that the four of us, the reason that we did resonate with him so well was the fact that when Motown started, they wanted to take their music to the world. Yeah. Um, it, they, they literally said, we're not making music for black people, we're making music for everybody. And the fact that there's a group from the western suburbs of Sydney 45 to 50 years later, who then bring that music back to him. It just really, I think in a way, it just made him realise that they were successful in what they wanted to do. They got it out to every corner of the globe. So I think he sees in us is that success. Sure. That Motown achieved its goal and got out to every corner of the globe when four white kids from the western side of Sydney could bring that music straight back to Detroit. We'll hold it there for a minute and we'll be back right after this. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit ginsociety.com. Just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. Pat, I've read articles of you in the past and you know, when you had all that time off and you know, people were sort of saying, well, mate, at least you've played a test and you've, you, you were man of the match. But surely you've got obviously bigger goals coming back now. You're, you're our strike bowler. You're the number one test bowler in the world. What, what are the future goals for Pat Cummins? 
it was good being, I guess, man of the match and people talking about it until about a week after the event and there was yeah. another test match that I wasn't playing and I started to get sick of them still talking about that first game. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much. You know, World T20 was, you know, well, was hopefully going to go ahead this year, but if not, there'll be one next year. And you know, that's a big goal. I've played in one of them before. We, as Australia, haven't won um, that tournament. It's about the only tournament Australia haven't won. So that that's a big goal. And, I mean, you look at the legends of the games and they've all played eight, nine, ten Ashes series and yeah. five, six World Cups and um, so much success. So I, I look at that and I feel like I've got long way to go. Uh, I'm right at the start of my career, hopefully. Um, there's so much ahead. But, yeah, I mean, that's just – Ashes series last year, just so much fun, so rewarding. I don't want to play one more. I want to play five more. So there's no set goals other than I want to experience it all lots. Well, mate, we want you to play for at least five more, definitely. Uh, we're going to beat those Poms over in England next time. Now, I've got a question for both of you because we have a lot of school parents in particular who listen to the show. Pat, what's your advice for, for a young, talented sportsman? What advice would you give them? I mean, I can only look at my, I guess, how I grew up. And, and I was so many things that I was so fortunate to have. I mean, I've got two older brothers who, you know, the biggest influence you could possibly have as a sportsman. I, I played every... Afternoon, we played every sport you could imagine for basically my whole childhood. So I owe them a lot. My parents were great. They, you know, it was one of five kids. We were all treated very equally. Sport was important in that in terms of we loved talking about it, but it was never an emphasis. It was always, you know, school, university. Sport was for fun and to hang out with your friends. Yeah. Never really rely on it for a career. Never take it too seriously. You know, try your best, but... I felt a lot more relaxed about sport compared to a lot of my other teammates growing up. And I think that that meant that I never really lost my love for, for cricket and, and through that played it every single basically day of my life. So just go out, enjoy it. I think naturally if you enjoy it, you'll train more, you'll learn more. Don't take it too seriously. And Phil, what advice would you give to a young musician? Definitely very similar to Pat there with the sport is that you have to make sure that you find the enjoyment in what you're doing. Don't let yourself get obsessed because that's definitely the way to burn out far too quickly. Just make sure that you're confident in what you're doing. If you want to make a career out of it, once you've, you know, once the the enjoyment becomes, well, I, I think I could do this. You just have to make sure that you take the right advice from people, build an, a good team around yourself mm-hmm. and realize that it's impossible to do by yourself. You, you do need a good team of people, whether that's managers or or certain advisors who can help you on your way. I mean, in sport, it's probably more like the right type of coaches. And follow that advice. Build up the confidence slowly. Don't try to become a superstar right at the very start of your career. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Get a lot of experience in what you're doing. Go in a few talent quests mm-hmm. just to get your chops up and things like that. So, um, yeah, just build it up slowly and make sure that you keep the enjoyment there and don't try to as we were saying before, don't try to win on the first day. And and how do you how do you educate and get kids to understand you know the the dangers of social media on, on both sides because you know, it's a pretty cruel world out there from both from a sporting perspective and from a young artist as well. Yeah, social media is a pretty rough thing at the moment, and also there's um, that feeds into that immediacy of of the the TV idol competitions as well, yeah. which I'm not particularly a big fan of. I think that they thrust young kids into the spotlight far too quickly and and try to put too much pressure on them to to be successful. And social media is the same. People are putting things out there that are not particularly great 
But then again, no one should be particularly great at the start of their career. I remember Dave Grohl said something about the best way to start a career is to get in a garage with three of your friends and suck for three years. And that's that's the best way to start the career. I'll leave that one alone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, pardon the pun. Um, (laughs) So to speak, anyway. um, But, yes, you you shouldn't be brilliant at it from the first time you pick up a guitar or pick up a microphone. So social media, a lot of kids are putting things out there and being really harshly judged by other people online and it's probably killing a lot of promising young careers because – they feel like they're they're crap at it, and when they're actually not, they're just still still learning and not just not quite ready. So, stay off the social media until you've mm. really got a product that you're ready to sell. Gotcha. Mm. And Pat, well, um, not that you had any involvement with the the whole sandpaper thing, but there was some negative press around the Aussie team there for a while. Now, how how did you handle that negative stuff as well, and how do you get past that? Yeah, I just totally agree agree with what Phil said there. I think social media is so easy to lose control of and us sportsmen get told by, you know, you've got to improve your brand, you've got to be more relatable to the fans and your fans want you to be on there and and all this kind of stuff that you kind of forget that you it's your presence, it's your you're in control of it. And I think at times it's starting to come a little bit more full circle and we're starting to wrestle back a bit of the control. You'll see a lot of the, the players now just don't have Twitter. They've turned off Instagram okay. because the, the the cons were just outweighing the pros by heaps. You know, yep. you have a game and you're worried about what people are going to say when you open up your phone after, you know, when you walk back into the change room. So all, all the best sportsmen who have the best brands and the biggest sponsorships, the one thing they all say is, their sports is what made it. Um, yes, you know, what they did out in the field or on the court. Everything else is is obviously great and a bonus, but I think as soon as you start worrying too much about social media, you lose sight of yeah. of what your your core role is. So, um, yeah, I'd say the first thing is a lot of us cricketers who have you know millions of people watching and commenting on every game yep. is we actually just shut it off. We don't need to see. It. It's not not healthy to see it all the time. Just totally remove that temptation of, of looking through the negative media. Great advice, mate. Great advice. Now, on a positive note, Phil, when can we next expect human nature in Australia? Well, we were actually supposed to be touring Australia this July, August, but uh, coronavirus put paid to that, unfortunately. Um, so we've just announced that we're going to delay that and postpone the tour, but it will be happening at some point in the next 12 months. We've just got to wait until the government relaxes all the restrictions and allows us to get back out there. But on top of that, you got to, we've got to make sure that people are ready to, you know, congregate yes. in, in spaces again because getting together in a theatre is a pretty intimate thing. So, sure. yeah, we've got to make sure that people are over that fear of getting together and um, we'll put the tickets back on sale. The tickets that have been sold already will still be valid, so just hold on to those tickets and, um, and we'll be out there performing as soon as the world's ready for us. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on the show. I think... Um, there's a saying that you know, nice guys finish last. It's not true at all. You're two, you're two absolute gentlemen. Uh, you always have been for a long Thank time. You, mate. No, you definitely are. And and Pat, yeah, you're definitely sure. my favourite Australian player at the moment, mate. And so keep up the good work. But you're both really shown how you, you know, a bit of hard work and persistence and and reinventing yourself and hanging in there for the, for the long haul will uh, give you the rewards in the, in the long run. And um, I wish you all the best for the future, boys. And keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Shane. Easy. Cheers, Shane. 
That's it for Lunch with Lee. A big thank you goes out to Phil Burton and Pat Cummins. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes. And thanks to Shane Hadley as my junior reporter this week. Thanks to our sponsors, The Gin Society and Spartan Sports. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars while you're there. And if you're passionate, leave a review. Next week, we'll be changing some more serious legends to discuss more about sport, music and business on another cracker episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then.